Hi everyone. If you like what you've been hearing, please consider subscribing to the Patreon at patreon.com backslash Hegelbon. That's H-E-G-E-L-B-O-N. The Patreon's really the lifeblood of the podcast. It lets me dedicate the time that I need to play the games, to talk to our guests, to really set everything up and, and make everything as sharp as it is. Um, without it, uh, no cartridge really wouldn't exist the way it does today. If you don't like monthly pledges, I totally get it. Uh, there's also paypal.me backslash Hagelbon, and we can try and figure something out there. Or you can email me at nocartridgeaudio at gmail.com. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, and I will try and answer your emails as quickly as I can. Thanks so much for your support, and enjoy the show. Trevor Strunk, Hicklebond on Twitter, and I'm here today with uh, Sean and Marina of, um, and you'll have to forgive me, I, I always forget the name of uh, the studio or collective that, that you're under, but you produce the the super intriguing uh, Anodyne 2 and are here to talk with us about it. Um, what what studio should I say this is under? What what uh, what collective would you like to be credited as? Uh, Analgesic Productions. Yeah, that's right. I always I always remember it because like I like it when I see it. I'm like, oh, that's a great name for a studio. <laughs> and then I forget it because it's so good that it just kind of like worms its way into my head and I forget about it. Um, it's my it's my, it's definitely internet brain to remember things that are bad and forget things that are good. But um, <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, uh, Anodyne is coming out very Anodyne too. Excuse me, Anodyne is out. If you want to play the top-down uh, predecessor to this game. We'll talk about uh, how much you feel this is like a direct sequel or not. But um, yeah. uh, Anodyne 2 is coming out. Uh, this will come out probably when it already is out, but it's out the, the what, the 9th? Am I 12th. right about that? The 12th, okay. The 12th. This, yeah. yeah, Monday the 12th. Monday the 12th, August. okay. Although reviews will be coming out uh, Friday. Excellent. Ooh. Scary. Ooh. Is huh. that is that something is that something <laughs> you're worried about? I mean, not, not that you're worried about because the game's bad, but just in general. Uh, I'm kind of excited. I'm pretty confident about this game being good, so I'm more excited about people's thoughts, I guess. Cool. Although I'm 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 always kind of like there's always going to be you know like a few jerks. Oh, for uh, sure. But, yeah, but I don't think we have sent keys to anyone who's a jerk. <laughs> I mean, you said keys to me, so I'll take that as a as a as a as a, uh, a positive uh, ju- judge of my character there. Um, no, yeah, it's it's um it can be tough, and especially I, I guess I was thinking about it with the with the thing that recently happened with Ublets, like how how tricky and how scary it must be to put yourself out there like that. But um, I'm glad you're confident about it. It looks very cool. Um, so, can I ask first before we get started? Um, what uh, what are your roles in the studio? Like, how would you describe them? Because I mean, I, I know your titles, but um, uh, I always like to ask people who are devs to explain to those of us who aren't uh, what what it is you do in the studio. Because it, it always is like a bit more capacious than I would expect. Uh, I pretty much do programming and the music and sound. Oh, cool! And then I hand I handle a lot of the business and marketing and outreach stuff. Uh, and then I also do, we both do game design and then Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm the person who tends to get more stressed out about like production deadlines, but we both (laughs) do a lot to help kind of keep stuff on schedule. (laughs) Fair enough. Yeah. Sean is, Sean is definitely better about kind of setting up the structures that we will then use. And then I, I use them in terms of like creating checklists and various things like that. Um, yeah, so I'm Marina. I do the visual art stuff. Um, the tend to be the lead writer on our games, and um, also yeah, do like 
game design, kind of figuring out what kind of systems we'll have and level design. Um, yeah, and that's mainly what I do. Nice. Um, so I have a lot of questions for both of you, um, but I'll start with you, Marina. Um, one of the things that struck me, and, and I'll, I'll be open with everyone uh, listening, I it has been um, a, a crazy couple of weeks for me, and I have not gotten a chance to sit down with Anodyne 2, although I am very much looking forward to doing so uh, based on what I've seen. And one of the things that really struck me, and uh, you probably could both speak to this, but I'm thinking particularly within level design, you know, there there's this approach toward a kind of like early polygon N64. That's how it's described, but it's a little smoother than N64 graphics. That's sort of maybe how my memory remembers N64 uh, graphics. Uh, And then switching between that and a kind of like top-down 8-bit approach that was uh, what Anodyne 1 uh, kind of had. And I'm, I'm curious, like, how did this, like, was this an inspiration that came about by way of wanting to do more level design, or was this something that you had to adapt your level design to? Yeah, I guess it was very much um, there. Well, I, there's a complicated slew of reasons that we ended up having 2D and 3D, but I think what it ultimately came down to in terms of how we decided what goes where, <clears throat> mm-hmm. excuse me, sorry, is. Um, there were certain things about um, 2D stuff and like that like worked really well in Anodyne 2 of these like kind of tightly designed little dungeons with little puzzles on each screen and stuff like that. And just kind of simple um, to create and very like form and function working together in terms of creating these simple little puzzle ideas based on a grid and using like tile art to represent them yeah. is just this like very natural thing that that is easy to do kind of quickly. Um, and then for the 3D parts of the game, uh, that is when we're really focusing on a sense of exploration and a sense of scale and um, that works really well in 3D because it's not like it's not that much harder in a sense to make a wide open area in 3D versus a small area whereas in 2D it is kind of hard to like make a bigger um, area that makes sense actually i never thought about it that way but that totally makes sense yeah um and 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 something about the player having control of the camera you just like automatically get all this like nuance and variance to their experience of controlling the camera and seeing things from different angles. And so there's this sense of discovery that happens almost automatically when you just throw a few shapes into a 3D space. (laughs) And that was something that we struggled with a lot in our previous game, Even the Ocean, where we wanted to create a sense of exploration, but it was a 2D side-scroller and like this hand-painted art. And it was like pretty tricky and scale became really taxing really quickly. Yeah. I was going to say probably tricky. And then also just in terms of like the amount of work and labor that had to be put into it must've just like felt like uh, exponential after a while. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So it was very much, it (laughs) must've felt exponential then. (laughs) Uh, It was very much about like, uh, we wanted to like we we really like to work efficiently, and so it's just like what feels like just natural and like what kind of just like rolls off the tongue in three d versus in two d and then we just like mm, structured the game around that and made those exact things happen and it was very like fun to work on in that sense and went pretty quickly, I think overall cool yeah like like if you try to like do a little like puzzle dungeon in three d like you quickly find that there's like a million little like camera things you gotta set up and like like just like modeling edge cases and then like all this like stuff. It kind of I don't know maybe there's an easy way to do it, but it seemed it was definitely too much to just have like 3D dungeon design in 3D. Mm. So we scrapped we scrapped that pretty early on. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's also like our first, uh, it's my first time working in 3D. Sean made a game called All Our Asias that um, is in 3D, but we're just kind of like finding our footing there. So we kept what happens there in a sense really simple, although I don't know if it ends up feeling like that simple. I feel like it feels pretty rich. Yeah, yeah. Now, and that's kind of what I was thinking looking at, at the worlds and like getting, getting uh, familiarized with your game. It, it seems like there's quite a bit going on. Um, one of the things, one of the ways that the game seems deepened for critics and Anodyne one is this way too, is via the music. Like it seems like people really enjoyed the music and the sound design. Um, Sean, I wanted to ask you about that. Like, is that something that feels, um, do you feel like that's part of, uh, your overall like job as a, as a developer and a designer, or is that something that like, do you feel like that's like a totally different hat you're wearing? Like, do you come in and say like, okay, I'm in musician mode or is it something a little more, um, I don't know, I guess gestalt or, or connected or something like that? Uh, it's, I think it's definitely part of the design. It's not, uh, <laughs> it's closer. It's close. It's more closely related to like stuff like writing and, visuals than it is like level design i got i mean there are relations to the level design depending on what it looks like but like um the way i view the music it's it's very much about like if you don't have music you just have this like awkward silence right Um, (laughs) right (laughs) and so it's kind of about going from there to like oh you know where in the story is the game happening and what can I do to like kind of express those ideas more? Um, and the thing with visual art is when people see something, you know, they have a lot of different background in terms of how they're going to view that certain imagery. Um, it's really interesting when people, when players describe stuff to us, like an object in the scene and they all, they use different words or whatever than what we thought of it. So that's interesting. Right. Um, and so the music, you know, it's kind of just there to shrink the space for like interpretation, I guess you could say. Um, so it makes and kind of like when you have no music, you know, and an image or whatever, there's a lot of different things people can be feeling, but when you add music in, it, you know, it shifts them towards a particular, like, limited set of more limited set of like emotions and that really helps to kind of um you know strengthen everything else about the game yeah um, you know it, it almost reminds me of a, of a sort of higher brow version of um you know the, the the question of like studio applause or something like that like giving giving audiences like non-diegetic cues where it's like okay this maybe the character doesn't hear this music, but you do. And it's going to give you a sense of like how this game is meant to be processed in the same way that like, we're going to give you a hint that this is funny. Um, again, like a, that would be a more lowbrow example. There seems to be a lot more that you're doing in terms of music and, you know, giving context to your, to your players. Yeah. But um, that's a really yeah. interesting, I've never really thought of music that way in video games. So that's, that's actually very, very helpful. Um, yeah. Okay. It's also, oh, sorry. Uh, it, it's also, oh yeah. Um, it's also about kind of like monumentalizing uh, certain experiences. Mm-hmm. So like, I mean, that's just a fancy way of, you know, like, oh, you have a character theme or something. And now when people listen back on the game, music is a very easy way to kind of like relive memories. So mm. there's that function as well. So it kind of, when writing a soundtrack like Anodyne 2, I feel like it's kind of like, I have to write like, 50 hits basically <laughs> um, and i think bangs. marina feels that pressure too because like you know every area looks very good and like memorable but so it's kind of interesting to like it feels almost rote actually which is weird because the music that i make and the art that marina makes is like very very good and unique but it, it after a while i don't know i don't know if the art ever feels tedious but the music near the end i was kind of like <laughs> oh man when am i gonna have to stop well you had a lot to do right at the end yeah, and I was like, okay, final boss song, do it in five hours. It was really good, but, like, you know, it's still... Just get it done, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, do you feel that way about about the... the not necessarily the, the exhaustion, although you can speak to that if you'd like, but, like, the 
thinking about it like in terms of uh, contextualizing or providing something to, um, in a way, like lubricate the story. Or I think the phrase that Sean used that I really liked was like, um, where in this world is the game happening? Like that's such a, it's, it's a unique way of thinking about it because of course I think most video games you think about, okay, like what is this game showing me? How is this, like what, where is this game located? What's it setting? And it's like a much more, um, it seems almost more passive. Like the game exists in some corner of this wider world. Um, and you have to represent it. I mean, did it, did the, did the art feel like you were giving a kind of like access to the, to the player in the way that Sean describes with the music, or was it something that was a little more, um, I guess a little more distant from that, like something, something again, a bit more like, um, separate from, from the idea of design, just kind of like producing art is different in ways than producing games. Huh. Um, well, I'm not totally sure I understand. The yeah, I was gonna say if that didn't make thing sense. That Sean, the thing that Sean said of oh, like oh, yeah. where in the world, and you kind of explained it, but I'm still not sure I get it. I guess like what I'm thinking is like um, <laughs> if you think about like um, I'm trying to think of a good example. So like a game like um, a game like uh, well a game like Halo, for instance, like a game like Halo, you you jump right in and. The entire game is is essentially about you because the sort of like fate of the universe is about you. Or a Mass Effect is like this too, where like you're given a kind of like central hero, and the hero has to save everything, and so like everything is somehow focused around this hero. Um, but the idea of where where in the world does this game happen makes me think of like games like um, well, like games like the Oddworld trilogy. If you ever played those, or um, I don't know, like, a lot of indie games are like this. Um, I just got done playing um, <clears throat> uh, VVVVV, or however many Vs it is. Um, and, like, those kinds of platformers are Celeste, even. Like, there's a sense that the world is bigger than the, the section you're allowed to see, that it kind of operates by these rules that you kind of have to work out and these logics that you may never work out. Um, and so much, a lot more decentered, a lot more about, like, this area that you're actually in as opposed to the story that's all about you. Oh, I think I see what you're saying. I think I, when I was, Oh, what I was up on a phrase and just run. What I was saying was, um, it's more about emphasizing where in the, the story of the game you oh, are. Like, oh, okay. Okay. Like what point, like what, you know, like what arc of the character you're in. Um, well, you've certainly given me an evocative phrase, so I appreciate it. But that's that. also an interesting <laughs> idea, too. As well. yeah, yeah, I think those are both things that we play with. Um, in terms of the visual art, uh, it's kind of strange to think about it, because, well, okay, so it's very different for 2D and 3D. In the 2D areas, there are all these kind of, like, body zones of different characters, um, that you've shrunken inside of, and it's like supposed to represent kind of a microscopic space. And those I approached um, maybe kind of differently than I would for a a more like continuous game, mm. um, because those are these little like they're supposed to feel like their own little pocket worlds, and. Those were often, um, I, I kind of had a formula for how I worked on them, and it was very much like mixing some like human scale environment with some microscopic imagery, mm. essentially, was what I was always trying to do. And um, so the like human scale stuff. Would I would try to like kind of think of something thematically related to that character, or sometimes like it would. Sometimes it's like more straightforward than others, like the connection and the imagery that we're using. But then I I would also I would just like look at the the human scale stuff. Like one area is like a sort of like a fifties suburban kitchen kind of zone, <laughs> okay. and uh, yeah and. And then, like, I would look at the imagery. I would, like, collect a bunch of reference images. And then I would look at that and I would be, like, tab over to my, like, 
document full of microscopic images and be like, what like looks like other stuff? What is what? It, where are there like connections visually here? And so that was kind of my process for those areas. In in the suburban kitchen area, I kind of have like these family photos and and like kitchen cupboards that are kind of growing in like an organic pattern and sort of like building out and out and like all different kind of like shapes but with some sort of like regularity oh that's really cool thank you um so and i i kind of always wish that i could have pushed that farther um and made things look more microscopic-y but also had to like keep keep things moving (laughs) (laughs) so Um, Talk to me about yeah. keeping things moving. Like, this is something that I'm actually, like, interested in more and more as I talk to more and more people who make games. Like, how much did you feel the pressure of getting this game done? Because um, obviously there's a there's a bit of a layoff between Anodyne 1 and Anodyne 2 in terms of time. It's a, a, it's a six-year gap. Not that that's, like, anything to laugh at. I, I couldn't make a game in six years. But um, you've also been doing work of your own in the meantime. Um so how much did it, was there like a self-imposed or I guess for lack of a better word and, and, and we could talk about like your personal politics around this game uh, in a bit, but like, you know, like how much was there sort of like a self-imposed or, or for lack of a better word, market imposed um, feeling to get this thing out the door? Uh, so we were, we only worked on this for a little over <laughs> a year. Wow. Um, I did. Do you know about even the ocean? Uh, you know, I knew about all our Asias. I didn't know about the ocean. Oh, okay. So, uh, Anodyne came out in 2013. Just this for listeners, too. Anodyne Please, came out yes. in 2013. And then even the ocean took us about three and a half years and came out at the end of 2016. And then we were, as far as working together, we were kind of on hiatus for about a year. And I made all our Asias during then, as well as started to teach at a school. Um, okay. And then um, at the end of 2017... We started talking about Anodyne 2, and we kind of slowly, slowly ramped up into working on that until hitting full speed around, like, I'd say September of last year. Is that when you quit your quit your job, Marina? September. Yeah, I think, like, yeah. as I was heading into winter, I quit my job. Yeah. So, um, yeah, i say say, like, in total, maybe we're working on Anodyne 2 for about a year or so in terms of work days. Um, yeah, like but, a year full time if you squeeze. There was like a kind of very loose. It was very loosely two years, and then kind of like full time less than a year. So kind of averaging it out. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. So there was a. Let's see. Um, I don't think there was a huge economic pressure on us because we did have Andine console ports come out last year. Even the oh, ocean cool. didn't come. So I reckon we could have probably survived another year or so. Um, but uh, I did, I was, uh, there's like just stuff moving around. And um, so, yeah, I guess there wasn't really a huge pressure at first. But then I guess the pressure is more for me at first was I don't want this to turn into another like three and a half year, like, project that drags on that ultimately is still very it's a very good game but like you know i don't want to work on anything for like (laughs) over a year you've done that Uh, you've done that already you don't want to do it again i don't need to do it ever again um (laughs) but in the in the past few months the pressure was it it became more um i really don't want to end up releasing in like q4 or end of q3 Mm -hmm. because that kind of hits a lot of triple a stuff and that kind of hurt even the ocean a little bit um so that made the past few months like a little bit more terrible than usual. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry that of the implication that the months are usually terrible. I hope that's not always. No, no, the no. Case. Yeah, in terms <laughs> of like, a, a lot of them were pretty good months, right? I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Up until the end. The um, pressure. Wonderful. No, I don't. Yeah, I don't think development wasn't really like. No, it wasn't bad. It's was just in terms of the factors that were kind of like, oh, hurry up and finish. Those are what they're oh, for. Okay. Yeah. But I think more broadly, also, wanting to develop efficiently is just something that we've kind of grown to care about a lot. Um, just sort of for various reasons, 
because I don't know. I think we want to just like put stuff out there and like be a part of, or at least, I don't know for myself. I, Sean talks about it a lot for maybe his own reasons for me, I guess it's like, I don't know. I just want to be like a part of the world as it's happening kind of, and not necessarily get stuck on a certain idea or a certain narrative, like hold away for too long. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so it, it feels good to be able to um, put something out there. And then I think you, like, learn a lot about yourself and you're able to kind of, like, put some things to rest and then, like, go out into the world and, like, refill yourself and learn new things. And so if you, like, let that drag on too long, or at least in my experience, it's, like... And it ties into other things. It's not always the cause, but it's... It's like a healthy. It's a healthier way for me to live. I think to be, you know, cutting off things at a certain point so that I can re restart. Mm. Like basically, uh, I feel similar about like personal growth, like ideas that I kind of just want to talk about, and then then I can start to think about other stuff much more. Um, but I think yeah. So something that ties into that is I think. I really wanted to kind of try to figure out this kind of like various like game production styles or ideas that could be loosely used by other developers to kind of like find ways to make their process more efficient mm-hmm. and like avoid the trap of kind of like, you know, over polish. Because I think we do see with a lot of very rich developers, this kind of like they have this this like trap of thinking that, oh, I'm going to work on this project for 10 years. And like, in terms of what they believe is like artistically, it says a lot about what they value artistically. And I think that's a very like dangerous thing to do for them themselves, but also like it's a very bad example to set for other developers. Um, Yeah. I really feel like if you're writing a game over seven years, like, like one of the important things about like narrative and art, I think is that, you know, it can help speak to, like, a current moment. And if you have, like, a six-year time gap, you know, that's... I mean, maybe if you're really rich, it's still going to sell a lot, but, like, I feel like in terms of potential of connecting with players, it's going to, you know, be dampened. Yeah, and that might... That, actually, that's really smart. It'll make uh, both of those thoughts. Like, it, it helps me understand sometimes that uh, the feeling I get when playing uh, smaller games or, like, non triple A games that I feel... a better connection to them even if like you know i still enjoy triple a games but like i will play like a an indie game or a smaller studio game and it's like yeah this actually like i feel i feel like this gets me at this moment better than this other game that just came out and it was huge like it was fun to play but i don't feel like it really spoke to any of my experiences right now and that i guess just like brute uh you know the not brute but the the basic uh reality of you know, time dilation is, uh, is really important there. Yeah. So can I ask, just thinking about this continuity question, can I, uh, ask a question that I've been wondering about a lot, which is how much is Anodyne 2 sort of, a a sequel a continuation, a, an intensification, like what of Anodyne, like what is the, what is the two doing there? Is that, is that meant to imply continuity or something else? Well, the um, the kind of like stock answer that we give really fast is that <laughs> um, it's not like a direct sequel. It's more like the Final Fantasy series where you'll see certain like kind of callbacks in the sense of there's certain themes or creature types or things like that uh, across the games, but they have their own unique stories and worlds. Um, okay. So that's that's like the short answer. Um, the the deeper answer is that we we kind of like <clears throat> struggle. Sorry, I'm like <clears throat> should have brought some water. Oh, you're fine. Uh, we we actually struggled when we were first starting out deciding whether it was going to be anodyne two or we played around with some other ideas. Huh. Um, like we thought Anod- about calling yeah. it anodynia, um, and anodynia. Hmm. ultimately, yeah, we decided to. Uh, go with the two, and I think it makes sense, but it's a little complicated. Um, 
it definitely does feel like an anodyne game to me, and I feel like other people have confirmed that uh, in a kind of complicated way because it's very different. Um, the first anodyne is a lot more kind of uh, diffuse, and like uh, the central story is a lot less of a kind of traditional narrative. It's more like a, a dream sort of logic progression. Okay. And Anodyne 2 um, kind of like wraps around the structure of Anodyne 1 where they're the thing that we're doing with the like the 2D and the 3D is kind of a thing that happens like thematically and narratively too where where Anodyne 1 was like all 2D and so Anodyne 2 is like it's kind of like has these 2D pockets, and some of those 2D pockets are pretty kind of dream logic-y or uh, vague in how they fit into the central story and the way that kind of Anodyne 1 was. But then, like, the 3D world and the overarching central story that follows certain main characters is more of a traditional narrative that, that kind of has these characters who come back and kind of twists and turns and character development across time that's cool thank you um so yeah i don't know if that makes sense well, there are there are relations to uh anodyne one but it's tantamount to spoilers and it's um we can we can talk about we can make it spoiler chat i mean we're 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 half we're <laughs> more than halfway through probably at this point i think it's we can say we can say like the spoiler tag is firmly on at this point. So uh, if you're if you're worried about getting spoiled for Anodyne two, um, you may want to listen to the rest of this when you come uh, when you're done with it. Um, come back to it, uh, and I'm 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 just gonna open the door on if you want to use spoilers to help make okay, the point. Okay, sure. Careful. Yeah, um, yeah. If you're listening and you're like buying Anodyne two today, stop listening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. Yeah, so Anodyne 2, I, I think it's very much... It is a standalone game. Um, but I in kind of, like, planning for the future, I kind of wanted to keep things open in terms of, like, the quote-unquote Anodyne universe. Mm. Um, and Anodyne 1 provided a few jumping-off points that made it possible to kind of, like, create a sequel in a logical... In a, you know, as logical as, like, dream logic can be. Um Without seeming too like, like retconny, I guess is that the word? Um, yeah. No, you're not. You're not uh, trying to give. You're not trying to like go ahead and give a, give a logic to your game that you didn't intend it to have. Yeah. So the kind of like, what the post game of Anodyne two shows, is that oh there actually was a direct like story link between the beginning of Anodyne two and the end of Anodyne one. It's it's not like, one hundred percent explained. But it's very heavily like, and you can kind of you know reason out that connection yourself by playing through it, um, and by having that connection, um, I also made it in such a way that like, oh you know there, this could potentially be used for like thinking about a third game or future games, and it's just a kind of like a fun. It's sort of like there's this abstract kind of like meta world above the two games. That's um, are consistent with both. Yeah. Uh, that also give a nice kind of like fertile ground for like being able to like build certain stories off of on different things. It's, I'm still talking about it pretty vaguely because These are I guess the I, most abstract spoilers I've ever heard in my life. It's amazing. <laughs> it's like I I like it because it's the it's the kind of spoilers I worry about sometimes, but never show up, which are thematic spoilers. Um, I still don't really want to talk. About, yeah, I guess I don't really want to spoil them, but basically. The idea is that a main character from Anodyne 1 kind of created the world of Anodyne 2, but it okay. doesn't really matter for the story of Anodyne 2. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't really it doesn't really matter, right? But like <laughs> it, it is that is the connection. And if you think about like, oh, how near Automata connects to like near, like the stuff that happened, there's like a big, you know, gap in between with lots of different characters you could explore, but it doesn't really matter for like near Automata. Um, and that's kind of the right. idea that I wanted to go for with kind of the continuity between the two games. 
So this character from Anodyne 1 leaves the world of Anodyne 1 after that story's over, and it's kind of in this, like, vague dream logic kind of space um, that's still within... So the Anodyne 1 is a dream world of a real-life person, and so that character... This is really confusing to talk about, but that character from <laughs> Anodyne 1 goes into this kind of, like, meta realm that's still the mind of, of the Anodyne 1 person young, Okay. Um, and then kind of finds their way somewhere and starts the world of Anodyne 2. But okay. it's kind of implied that that could happen to other characters, so, you know. You've opened up an Anodyne universe, then. Yeah, base, yeah base, I just want to, you know, it, it's... This is all, like, very deep lore, though. It's, yeah, it's very deep lore. It doesn't matter that much for the immediate themes, but I think it's more fun to have than not have. And No, um, I, I mean, I totally yeah. agree. I think it's, like, I think... There's something very, very appealing, and this is like what I like about you know Souls games and stuff like that, as well as uh, you know indie games that do it. Like, it's cool to see games care so much about their world that there is this lore there, even if it doesn't super matter for the the game itself. Like, you know, you can you can appreciate. And this kind of goes back to the Final Fantasy thing that Marina was talking about, where like in Final Fantasy, there is deep lore that can help you understand, like, oh, like, this is a callback to that, or this is uh, related to this, or this helps explain that. Um, But really, you don't need it. You can just play, you know, Final Fantasy XII tomorrow without playing any of the other ones. Um, Yeah, yeah, no, I I like that. That's very cool. The, um, The idea of there being some sort of, like, nascent link between the two is kind of in a, uh, a perfect sequel premise in my mind. Yeah, and I do think it gives like a it gives a certain it gives one option of kind of interpretation. I think it gives away because everything is in theory still happening inside some humans like various aspects of their subconscious. I think it does offer one other layer of kind of like interpreting the events of a story. Um so I think it's kind of a fun way to play with like um you know, different levels of abstraction of how you interpret the story. Mm. Uh, and so I think it does help to, you know, it strengthens the game for, like, some of the super fans, I guess. So one question I have about the game itself, and, and um, maybe I'll, I'll toss it to Marina, but I'm pretty sure, Sean, you'll have things to say about this too. And it's something that I've just started asking um, people who make games, and it's it's been a, a really productive question. Um, but it it might put you a little bit on the spot, and I'm sorry for that. But the um, not in a mean way. One of the things I've noticed about Anodyne Two is it has a kind of it it if you read it and squint or read it with a certain kind of um, ideological you know uh, position in the back of your mind as I as I do, um, there is a kind of um, environmental politics there or a kind of it feels like there's a sort of like politics around the violence of the game or politics. I, I don't know. So I guess like what I, let me just ask the question. What mm-hmm. is the politics of this game? Like, how do you understand the politics of this game that's happening? Either, you know, if you want to understand that in terms of the creation, in terms of like the space you use to create the game itself, or in terms of what the game is trying to say, um, the answer of course can be, there isn't one, but uh, I'm just curious as to how you see it. Yeah, I mean, no, there's like, there's all kinds of politics and layers. I mean, and politics is like a whole word with all these connotations, but yeah, I mean, what um, I mean, what I mean by it, uh, just like, just like, and you could take it in whatever direction you want, but like the the thing I'm sort of most interested in is, you know, not necessarily like you know who will, who would you vote for in the next upcoming in the upcoming election, <laughs> but more like more like politics yeah. as as a sort of like. Um, uh, animating ethos, like something that yeah, yeah, you, you no, know. totally, yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm a little curious about how it comes across from kind of like early. I don't know how much you've seen of the get, like just like early sections of the game or whatever. But it comes across it, as it, left to me. But I'm, I will admit, like I am always. Lo- I mean, this is a leftist, you know, games crit podcast. So like, hmm. I kind of am a little uh, beholden to my. <laughs> To my frame there, uh, yeah. but the the way that the the way that the story is set up, um, the the sort of like uh, you know open approach. There's not a clear like I don't know. Like I I'm, I'm so early in it as to like not really even be in it at this point. So I don't want to say too much because I'm sure I'm just going to get something wrong. Yeah. Um, but it seems I mean it seems like there's you're subverting things in this game that 
uh, subverting expectations for like a, a a sprawling kind of adventure that uh, feel political to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely like uh, consider myself like to have leftist politics. Um, as far as the game goes, I think that. Uh, I don't know. For me, like my, I definitely like think like it's a very personal story, mm-hmm. and so it's very tied into my personal experiences. And, um, but I guess the way that I interpret my personal experiences is from a certain political framework. Um, and so yeah, there's definitely like getting more into kind of deeper spoiler territory. Um, the, there's a premise that's set up of the, of your, you're born as this character Nova and you're told like, yeah, you're the nano cleaner. You go around, you shrink inside people and clean the dust. The dust is the thing that is causing people to like have problems. It's causing their, their like emotions and their desires to like, become grotesque and out of whack and too much. And mm-hmm. so the idea is that um, you're, you're, you become a part of the structure that like is, has a discomfort with um, kind of like the grittiness of how people are kind of, and like, right. um, and so as the game progresses, you kind of, you, you meet um, some different people who kind of complicate your worldview and you like ha- just have like experiences that differ from what you expect of the normal sequence of like going inside someone cleaning. They're like, oh, I had a problem, but now it's better. Thank you. Uh, you like that that formula gets complicated more and more as you progress through the game and um so it ultimately becomes about the the idea is that it comes it becomes about how these people who are kind of in power over you and who are like guiding you along this path are you're, you're supposed to kind of think about like why they're telling you the things that they're telling you and like what that what purpose that ultimately serves um and think about like how the experiences and in some sense the trauma that the main character goes through uh kind of towards the beginning of her life can be used as a as a form of control, kind of, mm. and yeah, and how like the bad things about the world or like the difficult things about the world can be used by basically any sort of form of power to control people, even if that power doesn't actually hold the solution. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it's 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 a it's a very dial. I mean, I'll I'll just I'll just you know, go on my own hobby horse here for a second and say it's a very dialectical solution or a very dialectical position, which I, I, you know, as like a, a person who likes his Hegel and Marx, um, I'm very into. Um, but it also, I mean, it also is like, a, it's a, there's a politics of inquiry there, which I find really fascinating. Um, I think like we were sort of given a lot of politics of skepticism, but the, which is good and, and, you know, you know, needed in some, uh, you know, in, in however many doses you need it. It's, but uh, politics of inquiry is something that I think, you know, just the, the, the need to ask the question of, like, what is actually going on here? That's something that I've been feeling more and more like video games are uniquely poised to perform. Um, and it sounds like um, this is a good example of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sean, do you have any other thoughts on that? On the politics uh... question, not on my, you know, rambles. I don't know. I, um, <laughs> yeah, to me, I, I mean, the thing is, for me, as the not writer of the non 
I'm not writer. As not, not having written the story. You are the not I, writer. I'm the not writer. I wrote a few of the little like sub zones, but not like really the main plot at all. Um, so kind of interpreting the game as a whole, it's hard to not like try to make relations to like myself currently. Okay. Um, I do feel that it, I, you know, I'm really curious to see. I feel like Anodyne One was vague enough that like, um, it had, it had that kind of like you know anyone can enjoy it without being like social justice warriors or something. Um, and not not saying that's good or bad, but that was kind of just objectively how Anodyne was inter- interpreted by player base. Right. Um, I feel like Anodyne Two is. I think there are subtle things about it, not subtle, but like it's definitely like just the way it's very kind and like the certain kinds of concrete structures that are used. So like the character, you, you're kind of born into the world to these like parents, and I feel that kind of helps to guide the interpretation towards a more leftist perspective. Um, but in that I you're don't, given like material, I don't, positions. I don't think in like it wouldn't do that in ways that maybe people are like social justice warrior. But, um, (laughs) that's kind of just how I see it. And I think it's, I'm interested to see what reactions from kind of like more conservative gamers would be because, um, I don't know, I guess I'm just, Mm. I'm just curious. Yeah. I I think, yeah, I'm, that is an interesting thing because I, I guess like we, I don't think there are a lot of like um, I, I I feel like there aren't a lot of really like obvious things or for lack of a better word like kind of like meme ways that it's like <laughs> uh, uh, like this is definitely like leftist you know yeah um, and I, I, I feel like that's kind of important to me when creating art for, like, a broad audience. Um, well, I think about this in a lot of different ways, but also in, like, a political way of, like, trying to, like, create something that is, like, um, fuzz, like fuzzy in a sense, where, like, people aren't like, oh, I know what this thing wants of me, or, yeah. like... Um, because I, I like I I don't I don't know if like I don't feel like I have the answers enough or like that I deserve to just like tell someone what to think. But I feel like if they enter this fuzzy space with me and I like express something that I've experienced or something like that, then there's an opportunity for people to um for that to be of some kind of like value to people yeah that's lovely actually yeah it's it's a it's a it's a, a conversational space and in, in a sort of non con it's it's let's let me say like it's it's conversation and dialogue in the way that we are never encouraged to do it which is to say it's not debate and it's not like it's not active like you know like debate your positions it's like literally a sort of like politics of empathy yeah i feel like in anodyne too there's sort of like two kind of opposing parties, not really in the plot explicitly, all sort of, but like, I think the one, so there's this one moment where the main character Nova is kind of like starting to question, you know, her upbringing and like beliefs basically. And that's, that's from her encounter with a community of these people who are kind of, you know, they're basically on the margins within the world of Anodyne too. Mm-hmm. And I think the way that community acts does not have kind of like an overhanging like culture of like punishment or like, so, you know, uh, I don't know, but like, so I grew up like going to like Catholic church and, you know, everyone is technically very nice and stuff, but there is still kind of this like weird, like culture of like punishment and like, you know, like, you know, denouncing your sins or whatever. I can't mm-hmm. remember. But, sure. Like, so I feel like the way that this kind of like healing community is framed in Anodyne 2 is a way that is uniquely probably only within like humanistic like 
left-ish kind of beliefs. Like, I don't think it's something that can exist in kind of like a conservative focused like mindset. Interesting. Um, and I think there's a lot of interesting room for interpretation of that section of the game. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, so it is really interesting plot that I think it definitely, I mean, obviously it is leftist because, you know, made by us, but also, um, <laughs> I do think there are just like subtle things to its structure that I, that kind of make it very hard to interpret in a way that's like, oh yeah, this is like about finding out the truth about like, uh, uh the government conspiracy. I don't know. Something like that. Sure. Yeah. Well, this sounds great. Like I, I, and I, I want to let you guys go, but the, I would love to have you back once the, once the game is out, once we're past the, the spoiler period, uh, talk a little bit more about the plot. Cause I'm fascinated to play it. I, I can't wait. I've been, can't waiting on this all week, but you've just, you've just amped up my excitement. So, um, everyone should go ahead and get it. Um, <laughs> What where where should they get it? Where should people buy this? Is there is there a place that is best for you to uh, get the money from it, or is the is it all equal? Um, I would say uh, my position's a little controversial, I guess. Um, but I would say Steam is the best. We technically don't get as much money, but the thing is, um, across lots of sales, like it's, I don't know. Anyway, the, the it's more important. Steam is mm, better for us financially, I guess, because if you write a review and buy it on Steam, that does help with the, kind of the, the magic algorithms. Yeah. Um, sure. But if you don't want to buy it on Steam for whatever reason, um, Itch.io is very good. Cartridge is very good. Any of the other stores are great. You know, GOG, Humble, Itch, Cartridge. Um, it's like free reign. Kind of, yeah. So, I mean, I would, I would, if you're trying to pick, I would suggest Steam. But, you know, whatever you want to support the most is fine. Cool. Marina, same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, where can people find you online? Uh, I'm mostly on Twitter at even, E-V-E-N underscore K-E-I. Um, or you can just search my name, Marina Kitaka. Okay. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Sean S E A N underscore H T C H. Uh, my handle is out of date, but it's too hard to change at this point, so I just <laughs> will not explain what it means. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that's perfectly reasonable. Um, and yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, and I hope people, um, I hope people really dig into the game i mean it looks fascinating it has like all the graphical stuff i've been loving recently the turn the return to low poly but it looks i mean it still looks gorgeous and it looks engrossing and fun um i can't wait to can't wait to let you both know what i think uh after i finished it too yeah cool yeah hope you enjoy it absolutely and please feel free to come back anytime we'd love to have you sounds good all right talk soon yeah thanks so much yep bye bye